0: Welcome back. It's the Total Water Polo Podcast again. We're fooling around with the format of this thing. And we do have some ideas for future shows with our great writers. But today, we'll follow last week's interview with a coach of a new program with yet another. This time, Mount St. Mary's men's and women's coach Alyssa Diacono fills us in on progress her program is making toward hopping back in the pool in Maryland. And uh, also talks a bit about her own time as an athlete in Australia and Malta, very interestingly, where a good portion of her family is from. Then Lala Kochish talks with Canadian team member Jessica Goudreau, uh, a goalie who spent her college years playing at IU in Bloomington, Indiana. They spoke a couple months ago when the pandemic may have been at its worst and cover some of those. Uh, Before we move on, a quick note that today we published a short piece on LaSalle University's decision to cut men's varsity water polo. It's uh, another victim in some ways of the pandemic we're looking to follow that up with a news piece in more depth and analysis of what happened uh, to that very very young program in philadelphia in the coming days and you can expect to see pieces by uh, again our great writers including michael rondazzo and lala kochish but until then first we talk to Alyssa diacono She was named head coach for the new men's and women's varsity programs at Mount Saint Mary's University on March fourth. Coach, that just seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? I mean, it's, I saw the March fourth figure. I was like, it, it, was, it was. I think I was twelve years old at that point.
1: Yeah, it certainly feels like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: she is San Diego State's Female Student Athlete of the Year in 2017, it was a two-time Association of Collegiate Water Polo Coaches All-American, and honorable mention in 2015 and 2016. It's Elisa Diacono, and, he, and she corrected me on the way to pronounce it. So uh, thanks for talking with us, Coach. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start with the, the, the obvious, um, and nobody is going to see this, but you're sitting in your office at at the pool deck right now. What can you tell us about what's going on with you, your programs, um, really men's and women's, uh, given what we all know about the COVID thing?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, Mount St. Mary's worked endlessly throughout the summer, making up plans, guidelines, policies to bring back our students to campus. And so fortunately, we were able to get both the men's and the women's team on campus uh, about the third week in August. And from there, a couple kids went into some quarantine for international purposes. And then um, you know, let them kind of get their feet underneath them. And we started in our phase in process, um, in line with our university protocols and the NCAA. So, um, we are super happy that both teams have seen the water in some sort of fashion. And we look forward to finally having our team practice first team practice coming up shortly.
0: And do you know when that is?
1: Um, I'm a little superstitious about (laughs) it. (laughs) You know, everything changes, changes by the day, but hopefully next week.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. And what does that, what, what is it doesn't it entail? In other words, I, I'm a coach. I know uh, that we um, have different methodologies. A lot of places are have no physical contact. I'm fortunate to have it. So I don't know what, what's it going to look like your next practice?
1: Yeah. So we had a three phase in process. So our first phase in was one student athlete per lane. Our second phase was small groups. Um, and then our third phase is team practice. And so once we're into team practice, we can go full contact and everything. And then we have the guidelines um, with COVID testing and everything to keep everyone safe with um,
0: the university. Can you imagine how much your guys want to get in there and rough it up? I mean, <laughs> it, it is it, it is uh, it is crazy how long this has been. So we, we scrimmaged for the first time last weekend and my boys in particular were just just over the moon like they couldn't yeah. believe their their luck. So, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm rooting for you in that regard. Um, let's talk a little bit about the job. Um, You came from Mercyhurst um, and uh, immediately started recruiting. I mean, you have a really robust social media presence and so on, where you were announcing uh, all these these selections. I find recruiting to be maybe the hardest part of the collegiate job. So how did you have such success so quickly?
1: Yeah. Uh, um, Well, when I look back at it, the challenge of building two teams, you know, potentially in a short timeline, I knew was going to be a challenge, and then you throw... Covid in there, and it, you know, throws everything up, um, you know, a little bit of a speed bump. But I really did tackle the social media aspect, um, you know, pretty hard, just getting Mount Saint Mary's name out there on Instagram, Twitter, because I wasn't going to be able to have a physical presence on the pool deck. And then, you know, once I had leads with different recruits, just making sure I follow up and get them the information they needed to be able to make a decision to commit.
0: Yeah, and you—they're packed. I mean, well, your your women's roster is a little bit shorter, and that's not unusual. Um, but you've got you know athletes from—and I'm in Texas, so I noticed a Texas player. But, but let's just let me name this—you know—Poway, California, Nevada, Salinas, California, Orlando, Simi Valley, Oceanside, Alvin, Texas, Ohio, Utah. I'm—I just. I suspect, you know, you're a native Californian, but you have worked back east for a while. So I'm assuming that that these water polo areas are more familiar to you than maybe they were when you were in California.
1: Yeah, that's certainly is the case. I mean, I think it's different, different because I started, obviously, my collegiate career in Pennsylvania, and so I made um, collegiate coaching connections more on the east coast, whereas my athlete Player connections were definitely more on the west coast but I was actually born in Michigan and so I have family there and then moved out west so I do have my Michigan ties and I was able to do some of the ODP um, you know clinics last year and got more familiar with with the northeast and the midwest and I'm certainly excited to continue to bring in uh, you know a whole range of, of student athletes from all over.
0: When did you leave Michigan.
1: So I was five. So my dad's job moved us from Michigan to Naperville um, and then from Naperville to California. So I, I have the Illinois ties too. Yeah, the Illinois. Yeah, well,
0: you know, I'm asking because it makes a difference, I think. You know, um, my friend Mark Lawrence is a Californian, but has spent an enormous amount of time in the East Coast and Midwest now in Texas. And I, I, I'm editorializing here a little bit, but I, I think that those who have done those kinds of things really, their eyes are open, you know, more that, you know, there are good players in Michigan, there are good plays in Ohio. Are there as many? No, everybody knows that everybody knows that California has the most, but you can find these really good kids that are, are not necessarily from your homeland, Orange County, and close to mine as well. Um So yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Um And also your men's roster, like it's almost, it's international. you've got Canadians and uh, somebody from Australia um, is is it easy Serbian as well is it easy to um, inform them about what it is the experience is going to be like at your school because I, I will I will tell you a couple things. One is I, I worked in Washington DC for nine years and I had never heard of Mount St. Mary's, no offense. <laughs>
1: I'm taken.
0: Um, and, uh, uh, and so it is, it is, I have family ties to the school though. Although I have, I'll tell you about that later, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it's not a well-known school. I mean, to be blunt. So I'm not sure how it is that you have con- conveyed that to all these, uh, especially these young men who are, who are coming your way.
1: Yeah. So I think, one thing that stayed pretty similar on the international side of recruiting is that most of that is taking place virtually. Um, and so you just kind of adapt that to the domestic kids as well. And to be honest, it's being honest, you know, it's not like I want to misconvey them and they think they're coming to a huge city and they show up in Emmitsburg and it's a rural town surrounded by farm, but you know, it's, telling them that you're an hour from Annapolis, an hour from Baltimore, hour and a half from D.C., you know, you're two hours from Philly. We have three hiking trails behind campus. And so there really is, you know, a variety of things to do for everyone. But it is just having that conversation. And then I've gotten my steps in, you know, walking everyone around via FaceTime or Zoom around the campus. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Got it.
0: I'm too old to think about those things that that's a brand that's so new to me yeah that's a really good idea excellent yeah um, let's talk a little bit about your locality so Maryland has had a, a decently robust high school boys league so to speak for some time not so much the girls I would say right it's a it's a little bit uh, I was gonna say the merging <laughs> there thank you thank you thank you thank you that's a much better way of putting it um, the obvious question is whether that's a point of focus for you that you're able to say, look, you, you know, you've had success at Calvert Hall or whatever, and you can come here and you'll be an hour and a half from home. Does that, is that on your mind?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as I settle in a little bit more and we're able to do more, you know, even on our pool deck with clinics and everything like that, it is getting the Maryland, the native Maryland players, the opportunity to play in their home state. You know, the men could potentially play at Navy, but for the women, it's, it's one of the It's the only school in our state that you could play um, in for division one, especially. And so obviously that's on my mind. I think just the growth of water polo is, you know, ultimately my goal on all fronts um, and making it quality, not just quantity of water polo.
0: Well, do you think there's any trickle down from you in the sense that, like you said, the the girls' high school water polo is emerging, which is a good way to put it. It is the fact that your program exists and that you're you know you're looking for success. Is that going to hopefully drive growth at that level in your state?
1: That's my goal. You know, I've had conversations with some of the high school coaches, and prior to COVID, it was looking at different ways to host camps and clinics just to even expose the boys to these opportunities and have the women follow. So. Um, you know, obviously that it is on my mind, but there's some limitations and <laughs> limitations in place right now that keep it from growing, but down the road, especially.
0: Is the same in Virginia? I mean, it does not have a, a legit sort of high school league, but the it's growing. Uh, the club scene is growing.
1: Yeah, Virginia. And then to be honest, I mean, Pennsylvania's border is about 15 minutes from us. Okay. Um, and so the fact that Pennsylvania has, you know, some of like, some of the most high school water polo athletes, too, is going to be great because they'll be able to play at a university within driving distance of them as well.
0: Yeah. Maybe even closer than the other schools in northern Pennsylvania, actually. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: How interesting. Um, I'm wondering if you ever crossed paths with the, the program at Maryland when you were playing.
1: No. So Maryland's program got cut before I um, got to play
0: in college. Oh, you're so young. So <laughs> young. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then, what is it that uh, what's the pitch that you make to your student athletes about what is Saint uh, Mount Saint Mary's known for academically? Are there programs that are sort of specialized, um, well known?
1: Yeah. Um, so a big one is our our health sciences. So pre med, nursing, biology. Those are those are um, popular ones and definitely popular amongst um, the water polo players. And then. Um, Business, we have, you know, the sports management side of things and then education, too. So those are some of our selling points. But we have combined 70 different options with majors and minors. So aside from engineering, we can help you achieve your goals.
0: And what's the total student body undergraduate?
1: Yeah, it's about eighteen hundred. So. Oh, very intimate. Yeah. Student athletes make up about 30 percent of our population.
0: Well you went to San Diego State, I went to UC San Diego, and I considered UC San Diego to be a tiny school back when it was fifteen to eighteen thousand. And meanwhile, down the road at San Diego State, what did you have like four hundred thousand students? I don't know. I don't
1: know, like kind of felt like it sometimes. <laughs>
0: um, the let's okay, well, let's move back. So uh, Tesoro High School, uh, I think you said you played for set, which is an extremely successful program. Um, is does that form the fundamentals of what you do as a coach?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think playing at set, that's where you learn how important your fundamentals are. Um, And that's what they focus on as coaching staff, too, is they're bringing in players from all over Orange County. Sometimes you had players driving in from the desert, you know, San Diego areas to practice with us. And one thing that we could all have in common were the solid fundamentals. Um, And then they would build from there
0: right and that, that stays with you forever um tesor had a little bit of success here and there in cif uh, it's a, you know you're smack in the middle of like some of the best girls water polo in the country obviously so very very competitive but uh, enough so that you were noticed by san diego state how did that recruiting process go for you back in the day
1: karen might laugh at this but <laughs> i was i was not highly recruited actually out of out of high school and club i started playing my freshman year or so compared to some of these other California kids who've played since they were eight, I was kind of late to the party, Uh, you know, but it was just the consistency of following up with Karen. And then, you know, she gave me the opportunity to play and I made the most of it.
0: Yeah. You were talking about, uh, uc san diego graduate karen crawford head <laughs> yes. coach at san diego state right so and uh, i'm in the same boat as you not recruited at all really so um although you've made much more out of your career than i ever could you actually went overseas and played like your first was it maybe i had the order wrong it was first australia is that correct yes it was australia what did you i'm curious about this because again mark lawrence uh played there and also coached there i think Is there anything that you can recall picking up in Australia that you'd never seen before from either a tactical, technical point of view?
1: Um, To be honest, what I learned the most was just their physicality. They play at a much more physical level than we do within our collegiate realms. Uh, And then the other side of it was their social aspect. They put a lot of emphasis on the culture and the social part of being part of a team and being there for one another. And, you know, water polo was truly fun. Um, you know, obviously it was jobs for some of us and their Olympic team, you know, weren't dispersed amongst most of the other uh, national team leagues. But it truly was just fun to play.
0: <laughs> What's the travel like in Australia? Because it's a very large place. But it...
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was in Perth um, and so I was on the west side and there was one other team that was located about 30 minutes from us and we would play them. And then otherwise um, it's kind of like a home in a way based on the season, though. Um, and so if you played in Sydney one year, um, the men and the women would then come to Perth the following year. And so I did get to go to Brisbane and then I traveled also
0: on my own. The, how does that take place in the sense of who, how do you know which team you're going to play for? Is it really are they in in European terms? You know, they, they're basically recruiting you in, the, in a lot of cases. But so is that what your experience was as well?
1: Yeah, I once I graduated college, I got right back into the recruiting process of trying to go overseas. So it was sending your highlight videos and athletic resumes and, you know, coaches recommendations and, you know, kind of felt like you were a junior, senior in high school again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and I assume, uh, you know, when you play at an NCAA level on the women's side in particular, you're really playing world-class water polo. Now, you just mentioned that the physicality is different. Is was that the major difference that you had to deal with when you were in uh, in Australia?
1: Yeah, that, I think that set it apart the most. And then you're playing with Fina rules too, and so it was a little mm-hmm. bit different. But um, physicality definitely, I think, was the biggest thing that would set apart the Australian league from the NCAA.
0: Okay. And then on to Malta. Um, I don't know if that was immediate. Was it? Was it straight from Australia to Malta? No.
1: So I went from Australia to my first year at Mercyhurst as a grad assistant. And then between my first and second year at Mercyhurst, I went to Malta for the summer.
0: Okay. You have to tell us how that happens. Because <laughs> I, I think Americans don't know much of anything about Malta in the first place, but it has a, an extremely robust water polo scene.
1: Yes. Um, So it's a small little island. It's about 16 miles wide off the coast of Italy um, in the Mediterranean. And men's water polo is some of the best water polo, you know, in Europe. And then the women's is more of a grassroots effort. And so my dad's side of the family is actually from Malta. So long story short, I got my Maltese passport. So I'm a dual citizen. And that allowed me to go play um, for Exiles for the summer.
0: How great is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then from there, I was also able, um, you know, as a as a club, we played at uh, the LEN LEN finals mm-hmm. in Rome, Italy. In it was the end of October of last year, um, and so I had flown home, got back to coaching in school, and then went to fly to Italy for five days.
0: <laughs> well, it implies that you wanted to come back to the states to coach. Is was there any impulse to just keep playing?
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> sometimes I still question it, but. At the end of the day, too, it's, you know, how does your body feel? Um, You know, how can you, you know, coaching keeps me involved in playing and, you know, obviously the coaching sport coaching the sport. um, Sometimes it crosses my mind, but I do love coaching and it doesn't mean I don't hop in with the kids or, you know, I'm playing masters at any chance I can get to.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because uh, Malta is essentially or was, at least for some time, a very major British naval base. And so there's this but it also has its own um, dialect, really. I mean, yeah. Is that right? I mean, you're, yeah, they you they speak
1: have, Maltese.
0: <laughs> you have family. Do they speak with does, does that side of the family speak Maltese?
1: Yeah. So um, unfortunately, we don't have any. Well, any family we could tie back to that's in Malta, um, you know, but strong Maltese traditions um, have definitely been passed up and through our generations but it's like a mix of arabic italian you have obviously your latin your greek root words and everything like that so some of the words i would pick up more of the italian spanish side of things and then uh more of the arabic greek roots were a little harder for me to remember
0: (laughs) also very beautiful right
1: oh my gosh yeah crisp like blue blue water um and for being such a small island it's there's so many different things to do.
0: You're, you go from Australian beaches to Maltese beaches, you oh, know, I mean, yeah. Spoiled. and Yeah, now you're sitting in your office in Maryland. You know, no offense. It's not quite the same thing. Well, I think we're going to let you go, but um, I wanted to share with you my connection. So my, my wife's grandfather is a man named John Law who was one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the new, back in Newt Rockney days at Notre Dame. And he was the coach at Mount St. Mary's for a few years. So I have oh, a, cool. I know I have a very, very, sh- <laughs> I, in fact, I was asking my wife, I said, um, what do you know about the school? And she's like, my grandfather coached there. Like I should know better. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> forgot yeah. all about that. So anyway, yeah, I, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. I really appreciate your time. And uh, we hope to talk to you again in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for
0: your time. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give, so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. Now, Lala Kochish talks with Canadian national team member Jessica Godreau and also a former Indiana University player. Here you go.
2: So how's that for you guys? How's the quarantine and everything? Have you guys been released from all of it?
3: Uh, no, we're definitely moving at a slower, more cautious pace, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, all, like everybody on our team has access to a pool and uh, to a training facility either at home or like at a family friend or something like that so we're all training pretty good.
2: Nice so you guys are really lucky. Um I I thought Canada was actually doing pretty well. I, I I'm not surprised that you guys are moving at a slower and like more conservative way and at, at a at a slower pace. Uh I I would say that's like quite typical of Canada in a very positive way that you guys are cautious and, and everything I yeah uh some of my best friends are from Canada so i i've been there and 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 i just know how how things work but but that's awesome well uh we have a couple people on here already so so let's jump right into it um awesome. Uh, as per usual, first, uh, I'm going to ask to please introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background in water polo, how you got started, uh, where you went to school and, and all that. Uh, so people who don't know you uh, that well get a little intro.
3: For sure. So my name is Jessica Boudreau. I'm the goalkeeper for the Canadian Women's National Water Polo Team. I've been playing water polo for 13 years now, and I'm 26 years old, so a little, about half my life at this point. It's crazy. Um, In high school, I played with uh, Titans Water Polo, but now I've switched over to Capital Wave Water Polo Club. And in uh, university, I went to Indiana U for all four years of my eligibility. However, I did take, like, a two-year break in between for um, the Rio Olympics to centralize the team to try to qualify for that one, and right now we're back to centralization for Tokyo <laughs> 2021.
2: <laughs> and you are from the east coast of Canada, is that correct? Yeah. And like, you guys, and uh, you guys are usually centralized over there, right, uh, with the team when you guys are doing national team training. Yeah, I'm
3: really lucky. My hometown is like a two-hour drive from where our national team trains. So usually, if we get like a Saturday and Sunday off, I'll definitely come back home just for like a home cooked meal and just to sleep back in my own bed.
2: Oh, that's really nice. How does it work uh, usually? Is it that you guys are all together for that for uh, for a certain period of time, no matter what? Or this is more because of Corona that you guys are isolating and and training all together? How is that for you guys normally?
3: Yeah. Well, in normal life, we are in Montreal on and off. We have girls who play pro, so they'll go out for um, certain tournaments and they'll come back to Montreal uh, as a team. As of right now, we're all like in our home provinces and in our home cities, just training. We get together like on uh, Zoom, which you guys probably do that like with your club workouts and stuff. Yeah. So we do Zoom workouts as well, like three times a week.
2: And uh, how does it work? Is it uh, Are you guys centralized in uh, Montreal for the Olympic year or leading up to the Olympics? Or it's pretty much like all the time. How does it work? Yes,
3: yeah, so we always have a center in Montreal that's open, and it's always welcoming girls who want to train um, no matter what time or point they are, like, within their water polo career. Um, but usually, like, the years leading up to the Olympics, either two or one year beforehand, we kind of try to, like, be in montreal um together um this year however like with the coronavirus it's still up in the air like when we're going to be back in montreal next year to all be together Mm
2: -hmm. i saw it uh i was just reading an article that you guys were actually scheduled to to go to hungary in february but it got canceled i was like yeah Hungary. you guys missed out have you been
3: to Hungary? yeah you have Two times. I've spent a lot of my birthdays in Hungary.
2: <laughs> oh really? That is really cool. I'm from Budapest, so I'm oh. always like, Yay, Hungary.
3: <laughs> I love it. It's a great place to play water polo too. So.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Um you already mentioned that uh, that you actually played in the N C two A, uh you played for Indiana and uh, I I know this but, but many of many of our viewers don't. Uh how's you guys' uh system Uh, different uh from the u.s high school club uh or even the national team or professional water polo how does it work uh for you guys and how would you compare the two um
3: i think the one thing that everybody knows the biggest difference is like our number system is or reverse like we go left to right one two six and then you guys go right i think everyone
2: does accept the u.s because that's how it is in hungary too
3: yeah that's very true um but uh, it's – our system is a little bit uh, of everything. Like, we've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different head coaches, so I think we've taken their, their – each of their strengths and we've put it to our own system. Um, the U.S. has worked with their system for I don't know how many years, but it works for them, and they're ma- a majority press team, I would say. Um, we like to work in a zone a little bit more often than in a press, but – yeah, I think those are the biggest differences. And in Europe too, you see them do a lot more of uh drops and zones than uh being a big press team.
2: Absolutely. And um, and how does it work uh like how did you grow up playing with like what kind of setup? Uh so you guys don't have high school or college water polo in Canada, correct? So uh how does it work for you guys over there? Uh what would you say? Like, how many clubs are available? Um, uh, how popular uh, is it to play water polo in Canada on the East Coast versus West Coast? Uh, what's what's your experience on that in comparison to the U.S.?
3: So we actually we do have a high school water polo. Oh, at, you do at, in Ottawa, like the city that I'm from, the the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. Um, have, uh, water polo I did I my school did not have water polo so I did not participate in that league when I was in high school um, but how it works like in Canada we don't necessarily have really big sports teams with our high schools it's kind of more like recreational and people kind of segue that into city clubs so uh, I played like I like I said I played with the Ottawa Titans water polo club in high school and now I play for the Capital Wave so I'm pretty lucky in my city that we have two major water polo clubs um, I mean, that's nothing compared to um, a major, like, California cities that have many, like, water polo clubs and you have a lot of competition readily available. But um, here in Canada, it's also difficult because we're such a huge country that, like, if I want to play, growing up when I wanted to play another club, we would have to take, like, five, six-hour drives down to Toronto or, like, a three-hour drive to Montreal. And, like, everybody would come in and teams would have to fly in to have, like, really big tournaments with a lot of games.
2: Wow, that is crazy. Uh, do you guys have, uh, like, regional, national teams uh, for for youth, kind of how they do it here for ODP, how they have, you know, the coastal, the Pacific, like, so many different zones. Do you guys have that?
3: Yeah. I've been out of it for a long time, so uh, from what I remember <laughs> – we did have like provincial teams and actually my very first international trip with team Ontario was to Hungary to Budapest. (laughs) And uh, now we have the same type of thing. Like we have a very, very similar program to ODP. It's called, um, I think, NDP national development program. So there are like regional programs like that in Toronto and Ottawa area, Montreal area. And it's very much the same type of system where, uh, the national team gives out like practices and systems, and like they implement them at those uh, regional practices.
2: And do you guys have any competition between those uh, those regional teams, or or uh, how how do you guys you know like because there's that final selection, yeah. right? How does yeah. the selection happen?
3: Um, things have changed a lot since uh, I used to play. So how when I played, we had like a nationals, kind of like how you guys have JOs. So very similar, like, all the clubs uh, would put in, like, their best team and they would compete for the National Cup. And now we have a National Champions League, and um, they play games all year round, so it's more of a league-based rather than, like, a one-final mm-hmm. based And four teams will make it to, like, the finals, and then those four teams will play for uh, the title of, like, the best team in Canada.
2: <laughs> what would you say? Do you think uh water polo... In general, and and just water polo leagues, if they have improved uh, since you were in, in the youth program uh, back home? Uh,
3: for sure. I think just the simple fact that my city has two clubs now and it can grow water polo like by double the amount of kids is amazing to me. And it just shows that like the sport is really taken off. And um, the competition level is great, too. Now people have inner-city competition, whereas before, like I said, I had to travel really far to play other teams. So water polo is definitely on the come-up in Canada, which is really
2: exciting. Awesome. And all those indoor pools with the smell of chlorine and all Uh that. It, yep. it was really funny uh actually i um I visited Canada for a Christmas break. I was visiting oh, yeah. uh my my teammates in Calgary and you know here in California we're so used to the outdoor pools mm-hmm. and uh and I went to their alumni game their club alumni game the renegades uh, oh, yeah. alumni game and I walked inside the uh, inside the pool and you know that chlorine smell hit me and I yeah. was like oh, it smells like home <laughs> the indoor pools yeah. um It's so typical. It's really cool. It's just such a different world. And, you know, just walking outside after a practice with wet hair and your hair freezes. (laughs) (laughs) It's
3: nice, like, to get those two summer months where we get to practice in the outdoor pool. It's always, like, a really good – it makes practices so much easier when we get to go outside, and it makes you appreciate it so much more. But, yeah, oh, my God, winter practices in, like, negative 50 degrees Celsius (sighs) winter. I remember those days.
2: Or anytime a Canadian team would come down here for a tournament, they would be just so wide and we would be like, please just put some sunscreen because you are going to get so burnt. <laughs> yeah.
3: We always come to California to do, like, a training camp either in the fall or the winter, and, like, we're always walking around in our, like, t-shirts and shorts because, like, that temperature there is springtime for us. And like people will be looking at us like we're crazy and we're like, this is perfect weather right now. Like it is not cold, it is not winter, like this is spring weather.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I believe that. Um, how was your experience uh, playing in, in the NC2A? Uh, I assume um, you had some sort of a culture shock. As well, coming over and, and playing in a very different uh, system and and you know just all the games and how it works, how you how you get to do school and water polo together with, with such a great balance. How was your experience as, a, as an NC a student athlete?
3: Yeah, that was definitely the, my first semester at Indiana was definitely the hardest thing for me. Um, I just remember like being so away so far away from my family. And having to wake up super early every single day way earlier than I was used to and learning how to, like, balance, like you said, the athlete and student life was definitely difficult. And, like, now when I look back on it, that's definitely something that I wish I could have told myself was, like, you just have to embrace that change and uh, do the best that you can. But I I was definitely a little bit, like, resistant at the beginning, so I made it harder on myself. But um, at the end, like, it was nice. I had uh, five other Canadians. At Indiana when I um, was a freshman
2: so did you play with Shelby
3: I play with Shelby yeah I play with Shelby and I don't think there was another renegade there at the time but yeah I play with Shelby so Um, she's like one of my really good friends and we're still really good friends to this day because of Indiana and if I didn't have four years with her it might have been a little bit different so I was really lucky but having like five people from Canada that I've played with before that I've heard of that I've known like Either in passing or playing on the same team was a huge um,
2: positive for me. That is awesome. That that's just it, it. Always, always makes such a huge difference when you have someone from your own country. There, my freshman year, uh, we had another uh, Hungarian girl on our team as well, and it was just. So helpful to have her there and have her guide me and, and introduce me yeah. to all of it. Because I truly came into the NC2 and, 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 and came to the US knowing absolutely nothing. I was like, I'm gonna I'm just here to play water polo and occasionally go to classes. So you guys tell me what I need to do.
3: You definitely had probably a bigger culture shock than I did. At least like a lot of the everyday things were normal, especially restaurants. Like we have the same restaurants, stores, yes stuff. So that was nice, but yeah, we got we would celebrate like all the Canadian holidays together, so that was definitely like a little piece of home.
2: Oh, that was amazing. Uh, our uh, ca- Canadian teammates would always throw uh Canadian Thanksgiving for us as well. Yeah. Delicious <laughs> delicious food. We loved it. Yeah. It, it. It was great. Um what would be uh if not one piece of advice, maybe you have more uh what would what advice uh, do you have for for our student athletes or anyone uh, even from another club who's watching, who plan on uh, playing in the NC2A?
3: I would definitely just say like change is hard, but it's always worth it. Um, You definitely have to take like every challenge within that change um, with a grain of salt. It's so small uh, when you look at the grand scheme of things, but when you're in it, it seems like the biggest, hardest thing. Like, moving 16 hours away from home I thought like I was so sad I was always calling my mom like calling my dad and like all these types of things but now it's made me so much more independent and I look back on those days and I'm I'm, like thankful that I went through that at a young age as opposed to doing that when like tomorrow when I had to if I would have to move back to Montreal tomorrow and I was far away from my parents like that would be really difficult uh the longer you wait to accept change
2: and how was it for you to balance um to balance you know having to perform in the NC2A for your team and being successful with Indiana but at the same time uh you had this this big dream and and uh and plan to play for team Canada uh how did that work out for you uh how involved were you with Team Canada before coming to the U.S.? And, and how did things uh, change and progress throughout the, the four years you were there?
3: Um, yeah, before I went to Indiana, I actually was in full-time centralization in Montreal with the senior national team. And that was my first kind of full-time experience with the team. And uh, I made the decision to go to the NCAA because I really wanted to put my education first before I really took time away from that to focus focus solely on water polo. So um, it was good to have a coach at the time. It was Barry King. It was good to have a coach who was supportive of my, like, Olympic dream and who was supportive of going back to the national team to train and things like that because he knew – that um, I kept on top of my homework, I kept on like my schoolwork, and I kept on top of training. If I was with the national team, I was doing water polo regardless. So having that support definitely um, kept me involved with the national team and made it that much easier for me to uh, see like that Olympic dream um, come to life.
2: That is that is really awesome to hear because uh, I've heard it so many times from, from Hungarian players and even, uh, from other countries players that they always had this concern that what if they come to the U.S. to play in the NC2A? Is it going to affect their, uh, their, um, participation with their national teams? And, and a couple of them, uh, have sacrificed, uh, playing in the NC2A because they just, they were not brave enough to make that move because they were just concerned that they wouldn't be seen you know, in their own league, and they were like, "No, that I, I don't want to risk not being seen by the national team coaches and, and not being selected because of it." So that is actually really amazing and, and great to hear that you got the support from from both ends of yeah. the game, from college and then your national team coaches, and they they gave you that full trust uh, yeah. that you would perform.
3: Like hard work will always go recognized. So if you're putting in hard work, no matter what, like people cannot deny that. So that was something I had to like remind myself all the time. Like if I put in hard work at school, then if I come back to the national team and they see that I'm still progressing and I'm still doing a good job in the net, then they can't be mad with my situation.
2: And when you, uh, when you joined the, the senior team, when you, when you started that first, uh, centralized training and all that stuff, you were fairly young, right? You were 17, 18 years old. Uh, how was that experience for you to, to jump in the water with the, the big dogs, with the, yeah. with the, the experienced players? Um, How was that? Because I know those first trainings, whatever team uh, you're with, but especially national teams, uh, those are always special. Do you have uh, any memories on that? How the feelings that you had? Yeah,
3: I because I was so close to Montreal, I got a few um, like special opportunities when I was around 14, 15 years old, even to train with the senior national team on like random occasions. And I remember being so scared back then like I remember those instances like they were those practices were so scary and like things would happen that I would like blow out of proportion and then I remember when I went to Montreal when I was 17 like I was talking to these girls and I was like yeah you made fun of me and blah blah blah." they're like no we didn't and I was like oh really they're like no like and we were like all friends and they're like no you're great blah, blah blah and I was like wow like obviously I was just really scared at the age of 15 to be with like these 20 something year old girls like on the senior national team like basically like my idols at the time. But yeah, they were all so nice. And um, I like a lot of the girls who have retired recently, I like I still talk to a few of them. So it water polo is nice in the sense that age doesn't really matter. Like when you're on that team, and you go through that bond, and you go through all these different types of um, challenges and trials and ups and downs, like that's just some sort of bond that you can never break.
2: I will never forget, uh, our club back home had this, uh, we were a youth club uh only and we had this partnership with this uh division one women's team that they would pull some of our our youth players uh for for the division one women's league uh Mm -hmm. some of our players played with them all the time some of us got uh, called up occasionally and I will never forget it when I I got the chance to go and practice with them and play with (laughs) them I was like shaking I was the same thing like my idols I was like oh my god all these national team girls uh so I can only imagine uh, how it was for you when it was the actual national team training at the age of fifteen. Yeah. And and you're a goalie, so all those girls are ready to shoot at you. Uh, yeah, the amount of definitely above
3: average, but that's okay. <laughs> you gotta start somewhere.
2: Exactly. You learn from those, right? Yeah. Um I feel like uh on every team, no matter the sport, uh, goalies have a really special spot, a really special role. Uh, yes, you're you're a teammate, you're a player, just like just like the rest of the team. But but you being behind your your team and and you're having their back on defense and and guide, guiding them uh, on defense, I think it, it's always a, a really special spot. Uh, What is your experience on that? Uh, Is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? Uh, Do you think that uh, as a goalie always have something additional to give to the team that the rest of the team uh, cannot do? What's your thought on that?
3: Uh, definitely, growing up, I always like recognized that was there was a little bit more pressure like being a goalkeeper. And my coach at the time, uh, David Hart, he's like um, a hall of famer, water polo player in Canada. He like always told me like you know the goalkeeper is the quarterback of the team. Like you have to be able to command your defense and you make that first pass on offense and things like that. And ever since I kind of like took on that mentality, I always thought of the pressure. Um, or the pressure kind of like went away a little bit. I was just a role that you'd like have to mold yourself into. And um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think uh, you have to be like a different type of person to want to put yourself behind like a really, really fast ball, let alone like your mistakes will always be shown on a scoreboard. Whereas like the team's mistakes won't be. Um, but it definitely like is a privileged pressure. Um, the players like when you put a player in the net and you ask them, "Oh yeah, try to block a shot." Like everybody will always laugh at them and be like, "Oh, you look so goofy, blah blah." blah. So it's definitely like a very specialized position. And uh, yeah, block like I don't know. I just I just love the sound of blocking the ball. It's like my favorite sound ever.
2: <laughs> it's like the sound of the bar in for us, I guess. Yeah. True. <laughs> Yeah. I, sometimes I don't even care if it, you know, bounces out just like hitting the bar. It's just uh, such a good sound. I, I love it. Um I, I, sound,
3: I always think like duck. I'm like, Oh, you hear the bar sound. You're just like, you want to duck right away. <laughs> for us, it's like,
2: yes. Yeah. Uh I will never forget my, my first ever, first ever water, water polo practice. Um, we scrimmaged the one of the boys teams and we were uh, behind the cage, but we have these big, big bang boards. Like, actual goal-sized bang boards and we would just use those as as cages and they asked me hey do you want to be a goalie do you want to try it and i actually loved the idea of, of being a goal i was like for yeah. sure you know like i mean at the age of like 12 13 i was probably like five three five four who cares i'll be a goalie yeah, yeah. and i will never forget it i i was in front of the bang board treading getting ready to block the ball and I think it was, like, maybe 30 seconds into the the scrimmage, there's this big boy, the biggest on the, on the boys' team, is swimming one-on-nobody at me, like, oh. super hard. He picks up the ball and shoots it on the bang board. And that's when I was like, I'm fine. I'll be a field player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was even worse than just a regular goal, you know, the bang board. Like, the ball, it was okay. so loud, and the ball bounced off so hard. Yeah. I was like, no, I, I'll just score goals. That's fine yeah. with me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I really didn't like the, the idea of, like, people grabbing onto me and, like, holding onto me in the water. I was like, no, 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 like, this is perfect. Like, I have my own space. Like, people don't come in the two-meter line. Like, this is where I want to be.
2: <laughs> were you one of those goalies who became a goalie because you either hated swimming or you were just really not good at it? Yeah. Yep. Exactly.
3: <laughs> teammates always make fun of my swimming form, and I'm like, I, I'm completely <laughs> because I'm exactly where I want to be. Like, I do not want to be swimming.
2: <laughs> there you go then it's the perfect fit yeah. um we already talked about team canada uh a little bit but uh let's talk about uh tokyo um what's in your mind right now with with corona so yeah. many things changed it was ch- such a hard hit for for all the athletes uh where are you guys at uh in your preparation and your training i know it, it's not the ideal situation uh and where are you mentally with with the whole thing
3: yeah it's hard to know what to think <laughs> I don't even know what's going to happen um i mean it's great that the games have been postponed i think that was The biggest thing that we all were hoping for was just to put everybody's safety first Um, and to even have imagined. I think we would have been already left for Tokyo at this point if they were still gone to imagine to have not have even trained and gone straight to the Olympics. It would have been uh, crazy. Um, But, yeah, we're just hoping that we can get back to training as a team and getting in some games like internationally before the next (coughs) Olympics. Hopefully this settles down a little bit more and people are safe enough that we can uh, get back to traveling. That's the biggest thing. But I'm definitely hopeful uh, looking at how our country has been, like, um, handling it so far. I know that we'll definitely, like, take the right steps towards getting back to going to practice.
2: Do you know uh, what you guys' next travel would be? Is there anything scheduled or planned or are they just completely – canceled everything and they're going to just have to redo the scheduling
3: yeah everything will almost be last minute i guess like <coughs> once, we light, once we get the green light is when we will know when our uh, competition schedule will basically be
2: got it did you guys have uh, any uh bigger tournaments scheduled uh before were, were you got what kind of tournaments were you guys uh gonna go uh besides that trip to hungary for that for that yeah. training camp did you guys have any bigger tournament scheduled mm-hmm. so we had the
3: hungary training camp and then we had <clears throat> that were supposed to be in indianapolis actually um and uh, world league superfinals so we had three tournaments leading up to the olympics that were all kind of axed out um and i'm not sure what the plans are for this year if they're gonna kind of like Postpone those ones that we had last year. Or are we just gonna do with what the schedule was supposed to be for this year? It's kind of all up in the air.
2: It's it's so sad. Just we want sports back. We want water polo yeah. back. Um, yeah. <clears throat> speaking of travel, uh, what has been your your favorite tournament? Your your favorite uh, trip with the team so far?
3: Um, my favorite tournament definitely has to be. Uh, World Championships in Budapest in 2017. Um, we had an amazing tournament all around as a team. We ended up coming in fourth, but uh, we played the host team in uh, Hungary um, for our crossover to, like, get put into the top four. And we beat the host team. And I, that stadium, like, the silence in the stadium is something I will never forget. And I, sorry, but it was one of my favorite moments uh, for my team.
2: All good. I remember that game because I was so not happy with with what the girls were doing and yeah. I remember you guys' defense I exactly know what defense you guys were running and the yeah. girls just could not get through it it was yeah. I, and I think was wasn't it the second time you guys played didn't you guys play in in a uh, group and then got back for the we second played,
3: time so we played Hungary uh, earlier that summer at uh, World League Super Okay Finals. that Okay,
2: yeah. that's what
3: it was then. But We won in shootout, actually, when we played them. So, um, But that was our first time ever playing that system as a team at that tournament. And, like, the amount of improvement that we had made in two months, like, to go to World Championships and do, um, like, a fourth-place placement was, like, a lot. So it's definitely, like, that entire summer was definitely a great summer, but World Championships uh, – was my favorite tournament that we've ever Yes, won. it's it's actually crazy
2: that I remember exactly, like, yeah. how I was watching that game. Like, I, again, the defense you guys were yeah. running, and, and you guys ran it against – who did you – someone else who, like, you guys just threw that team off. I can't remember yeah. who it was, but I was watching that. Didn't you guys play the U.S. and or – you gave a hard time um, – to someone with that exact same defense and I just remember totally well, it, it's funny.
3: all the teams that we played that summer had like a hard time breaking that defense um, well at World League Superfinals uh, I think at, if I'm not mistaken, I think like at half we were tied with the US or something like that But, yeah, we just kind of – That was a a,
2: close game with the U.S. I remember that, too, yes.
3: We had a breakdown in, like, the third quarter with our defense, which kind of, like, gave them a lead. But – and at that same tournament, too, with Russia, we we were down early. We came back. We did, like, at half. We came back. Like, our defense was on point, and we ended up winning that game by a goal. And they had a five-meter shot at the end. Like, it was crazy, super close game. And, uh, yeah, I'd like – I don't know how many times I can say it but that was a really good summer.
2: <laughs> I'll take it. I, I'm not offended. I'll take it. You guys did yeah. an amazing job. So uh, it was it was one of those one of those wins that that you guys deserve. So so I can't say anything. <laughs> I can can judge. Um mm-hmm. In general, and I know this is a really hard question because we are in the sport, obviously, because we love it, right? We've been doing it for such a long time. You said you've been uh, doing water polo for for 13 years. What is your absolute favorite thing about water polo? When you started playing water polo, or, uh, let me ask it this way. When you started okay. playing water polo, what was that one thing or, or what, what what drew you in? What, what was that thing that, that you, you really loved and said, I want to be a water polo player? Uh, and then what's your favorite thing about water polo right now that you've been playing the sport for 13 years? What, what's the true beauty of water polo to you?
3: I won't lie. When I started playing water polo, I really did not like it at all, but only for only for three days. I was really against it for like three days. I started at a water polo camp like in the summer and I didn't have any friends. I mean, I loved being in the water and that was like something that was really happy. For, I was like really happy about, but it's a hard sport. So I was really struggling the first few days. But I remember like as soon as I made friends and I was able to be in the water like three hours a day, like it like something just switched. And that's when I really fell in love with the sport, and I knew that I just wanted to keep playing because I had made friends, and I was doing my, like, most favorite thing in the world. And what kept me in the sport was definitely, like, my competitive nature. Um, the sport of water polo is so competitive in itself. I think a lot of team sports are like that, where you have to, like, compete with your best friends for a position, or you have to compete with people that you love, um to make them better as much as you want to make yourself better. And that's something that, like, keeps me going to this day. It's just I like to be competitive, and um, our team is definitely that, and that's what keeps me going.
2: Nice. Who is someone whose shot you truly respect, and and if that person uh, is in front of you with the ball in her hand and is faking like crazy, who is that one person who you would say, I don't want her to shoot?
3: <laughs> On my team or in the world?
2: Um, let's say both. I mean, both. why not?
3: Yeah. I feel like I've almost forgotten my teammates' shots. It's been so long. <laughs> but um we definitely have really good lefties. Like our lefties are I mean not to brag, but our lefties are probably one of the better lefties um in the world, I would say. We have two really, really good lefties. And uh, their cross-cage shots are, like, always, like, perfect pocket, like, in the top corner. So their shots from the one-two side are always something that I don't look forward to taking. In the world, though, that's pretty tough. I think there's a lot of players. Um, there's a player, like, on each team that are that's definitely, like, um, a really good shooter. But I think um, number three from Russia, Prokofieva. She's a really, really good shooter, and she's a smart shooter, too, which I think um, kind of, like, um, sets her aside or makes her stand out from everybody else. She takes shots when she knows you're not paying attention or if she knows you're preoccupied, like, watching a drive or something, and she'll place them perfectly, same thing, in the top corner. And she has a super, super nice release, so I would definitely say, like, for her, I, I do not really like facing her shots.
2: And she's not a nice player, I can say that. Yeah. I have played against her, she, she, she does not mess around. If she wants yeah. to get to somewhere and she wants to do something, she will do it. Yeah, so I, I can totally see her mentality going into her shots and, and just being so determined that she is going to put it away. Yeah, sure. Yes, thank you so much. You have a great night, thank a great you. week, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear about you, from you sometime in the future.
0: Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Waterfall podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcast stuff on most of the biggest distribution channels. But until next time, so long from Austin, Texas.
1: Sports LLC.